Welcome to the Cyber Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the cyber world with exclusive interviews, insights, and expert analysis. Tune in and stay ahead of the game. Welcome to the Cyber Insider, MCSoft's podcast all about cybersecurity. Your hosts today are Brett Callow, Threat Analyst here at MCSoft, and I'm Luke Connolly, Partner Manager. Our guest today is Alan Liska. Alan's a senior security architect and ransomware specialist with Recorded Future. With more than 20 years of experience in ransomware and information security, Alan has improved countless organizations' security posture using more effective intelligence. He provides ransomware-related counsel and key recommendations to major global corporations and government agencies, sitting on national ransomware task, task forces and speaking at global conferences. As a leading voice in ransomware and in, uh, intelligence security, Alan is regularly cited in, uh, in the Washington Post, the New York Times, and NBC News, and has authored numerous books, including The Practice of Network Security, Building an Intelligence-Led Security Program, among others. He's also the creator of the first ransomware-themed comic book, Yours Truly, jo Johnny, Doll Johnny Dollar. Alan, uh, welcome. And, and first off, maybe you can tell me about this comic book. Is it based on actual people and incidents? Um, so, uh, yeah, so it is real life adjacent. I will say that, um, with a little bit of wish fulfillment in there. Um, so some of the things that we can't really do during an incident, Johnny gets to do, which is kind of nice. Um, we have a four story arc that we're working on. We just released the digital version of the first one. The print version will be out November 1st and, Brett Callow, uh, among other security researchers, does make a, a cameo in the comic book. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you're known as, as uh, the ransomware sommelier. How did that come about? What's the story there? Um, so I, uh, Sean Lingus, who now is with CNN, but started off with State Scoop, or at least that's how I knew him, um, or Cyber Scoop, I guess, uh, was uh, writing a story that he quoted me in, and he couldn't remember my title, so he called me the ransomware connoisseur, uh, kind of as a placeholder meeting to go get my actual title, and then he forgot, and his editor didn't catch it, so I got published in that particular article as the ransomware connoisseur. And I joked with him that I'm actually more of a ransomware sommelier because I help pair the right ransomware with the flaws in your network security, um, like a good sommelier does with wine. I am actually a certified sommelier, uh, so that's kind of cool. And you know, the name just kind of stuck and uh, I enjoy it. So uh, it's it's a kind of a fun a fun little thing. How much blame do you think we, as in the cybersecurity industry, shoulder for the current state of cyber insecurity? Uh, we often point at blame at companies when they get breached, but do we need to be looking at ourselves more um, if they're not using MFA, for example? Do we need to be thinking more about why that is? So blame for cybersecurity attacks rests solely on the attackers. They don't have to do the attacking. They choose to do the attacking. That being said, we as the cybersecurity industry are just crap at the, our jobs. Like we don't do a good job. Um, you know, and, and I know that's a terrible thing to say. I work for a vendor, you work for a vendor. Um, what we seem to be 
really good at is adding complexity and making clients, customers buy more gadgets to properly secure their network. Uh, you know, Brett, you've heard my rant before, right? We started off with the firewall and then, oh, well, firewall's not stopping everything. So now you have to buy an IDS. Well, that's not stopping everything. So now you need endpoint security. That's still not stopping anything. So you need a web application firewall. Now you need a proxy for your email. Now you need a separate email security system. Now you need this, you need that. And you know, you walk into any good sized network and they've got a hundred different security tools, most of whom don't talk to each other. And you catching a security incident relies on you looking at the right console at the right time. So I think that, and I mean, it, it is the reality that networks are much more complex than they were 30 years ago, but we've also increased the complexity of security which makes it much harder to actually run an effective security program. But having said that, are we still having businesses compromised by unsophisticated attacks? And, and if so, is the question, it's a question of, do the businesses not know how to do, how to form a proper defense, or do they not know or believe that they're at risk? So I think part of it is, uh, I'm gonna fall back on one of my favorite analogies. I love 70s Kung Fu movies. And there's always that one scene where Bruce Lee has to fight seven guys at the same time, right? And that is one of the problems with having such a diversity in the, uh, you know, not only your, your, the surface you have to defend, but the number of attackers that are coming at you is you don't get to say, okay, I'm going to focus on improving my identity and access management this month. And then I'll worry about vulnerability management next month because those attackers are coming at you from all sides and you have to be able to, uh, you know, you have to be able to stop them, you know, and, and you, you kind of, you don't get the luxury of having holes in your security. Yes, certainly there are things that should obviously not be getting through, uh, that do. And, and I mean, we, we see this all the time where, Poor vulnerability management, poor asset management are absolutely a problem and have been a problem for 30 years. We're not making it easy for people to solve that problem, though, um, apparently, because, you know, if, if we could figure out ways to make it easy, one, you'd make a whole lot of money. And two, um, then the, we wouldn't be have ha we wouldn't continue to have these conversations 20 years later. And I'm sure there's a vendor who's listening to this that will say, no. My solution obviously does solve this problem. It doesn't, man. Stop saying that. Um, because if it did, everybody would buy your solution and, you know, we would uh, we, we would have solved the problem. What aren't organizations paying enough attention to when it comes to security? I don't know. It, it, it varies from, from day to day. Um, I do think, though, that there is... So I'm, I'll, I'll give you two different answers, which is kind of a cop-out. And, and, and yeah, and I apologize for that, but I'm going to do that in any way. Every attack, almost every attack, whether you're talking ransomware, whether you're talking nation-state, whatever, needs to get access to your Active Directory. And they're almost always successful getting access to your Active Directory. I don't think enough organizations take securing their Active Directory infrastructure seriously, or they do, but they're afraid to because they know if they make any change, their Active Directory is gonna be down for three days and everybody's gonna hate them because they won't be able to log into their network. 
Um, and that leads me to the second. I think if there's not enough attention paid to identity and access management, we see too much credential reuse. Now, part of the problem is there's literally billions of stolen credentials or leaked credentials out on, you know, out, out for anybody to download and get. But, but I don't think we pay enough attention to identity and access management and understanding that when there is, you know, when there are leaked credentials out there, you have to act quickly to get those passwords reset or, you know, whatever else you need to do. So just about a year ago at RespondeRCon 2022, you reported a couple of statistics. Number one, that um, the number of ransomware extortion sites more than doubled from the previous year. And number two, that recorded future at the time, which was September of 2022, saw had seen was seeing an explosion in ransomware groups with 170 new ransomware variants reported in 2022 to that point. So my question is, how do these numbers, the number of extortion sites and the number of ransomware groups or variants, how how's that, how have those numbers played out this year? Uh, so this year, nice. Uh, I, I have an intern to track those for me. And so the numbers that we've seen are about 350. Now that is that does include variants of stop and deja vu or and phobos which you know we just even though it's the most prolific ransomware out there we generally don't talk about them but it's still a much larger number than last year even discounting you know the, those those particular variants the ransomware data leak sites i have a nightmare this year um i don't know if you're experiencing the same thing on your end but they go up and down so often and for a lot of these newer smaller groups their infrastructure is so rickety that just the hundred different intelligence companies and randos on Twitter that are checking their sites every day is enough to take them down. So it, it's a lot harder to tell, but I think we're somewhere around 170 sites that, that we're attempting to scrape data from. You've called for maybe somewhat jokingly drone strikes on ransomware operators, and you're not alone in that line of thinking. Do you really think they should be military targets? And if so, what would that actually potentially look like so no uh you know i i don't think is is terrible and i know there are people that that think that they are especially going after hospitals going after schools going after things that are off targets and if somebody you know if, if a terrorist had taken out a hospital we would be bombing the hell out of wherever that terrorist is from so but but i don't think cybercrime necessarily rises to the level of extrajudicial killing but i also know that what we're doing from a government standpoint isn't enough and we need to take more action. So I'm going to start the conversation at drone strike and let everybody else move a little bit to the left to get uh, closer to what I want to. Okay, if drone strikes aren't the answer, then you tell me what is the answer because clearly this isn't working. I mean, by all numbers that I've seen, whether you're talking about the FBI report on the number of ransom payments they're tracking, whether you're talking about number of victims posted to data leak sites, whether you're talking about super secret crowd strike numbers that they can't share with anybody, but trust me, everything is much higher than last year. All numbers seem to point that ransomware attacks are have dramatically increased in 2023. So as much work as I do think the governments are doing, and, and I, I think this is a multi-government affair, and I do think that they are doing good work, and I appreciate what they're doing, it's clearly not enough. We need to do whatever the next thing is. Let the ransomware actors know that what they're doing is not acceptable, and there are actual consequences for it, not just we're 
shutting down your infrastructure and you're going to go sit on your yacht in the Black Sea for three months and then come back with new infrastructure. Speaking of law enforcement, uh, again, at, at RespondorCon in 2022, you said that a lot of law enforcement actors were looking at LockBit and you predicted at that time that LockBit would have a Conti-like moment in the next couple of months based on the statement in, in September of last year. They're still going strong, I think. So what happened or, or what didn't happen? I don't know. You know, it's not like they're subtle. You know, it, 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 it's not like they're not posting everywhere. It's not like they don't have an Instagram profile. It's not like people haven't figured out where LockBitSup lives. All of that data is out there. And if randos like us can find that, then we know that government agencies have that data. My assumption is he's been informing on the FBI, to the FBI on all the other ransomware groups. And I have made that claim publicly on Twitter. And if he's not, he's welcome to meet me in Poland and prove to me that he's not an FBI informant. Um, but so far, he hasn't taken me up on that offer. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I wish I had an answer. I was clearly very, very wrong. You know, it feels like they've reached the point, the LockBit RAS group, RAS infrastructure, feels like it's reached that point of saturation where there should have been a government action by now. Um, and, and we just haven't seen anything. As you already said, ransomware is probably as problematic, if not more so, than it ever has been. At the same time, we're also seeing more arrests and more disruptions than we ever have. They're not making a difference. What we're doing doesn't seem to be working. What do we actually need to do to see some real progress here? How can we start getting the numbers down? So again, if we're not going to drone strike anybody, if we're taking that off the table, I think one of the things that we need to figure out how to do, and I don't know the answer to this, is take a mafia-like approach, the way law enforcement goes after the mob, because ransomware is largely enabled because of the different support groups that are out there for ransomware operators. So if you can disrupt the initial access broker, so like the Quackbot uh, uh, takedown is a great example of that. If you can disrupt that initial access, I think that goes a long way to not stopping ransomware attacks, but it slows them down. Because if there are no options out there for them to buy access and they have access themselves and then carry out the ransomware attack, that significantly lengthens the time of the operation, which means there are a few or they, they can carry out fewer operations. So it doesn't solve the ransomware problem, but maybe it makes it less prominent. And, and again, I don't know the right way to do that. How do you go after the initial access brokers, especially because if there are hundreds of you know core ransomware operators, then there are thousands of initial access brokers out there. So I don't know how you can, can expand into that area, but initial access brokers tend to have fewer resources, and so they may be easier to target. And then, I mean, the other thing is, how do we how do we keep going after the money? How, how do we, you know, bring in the great work that people like Chainalysis and other companies are doing to figure out how we disrupt their ability to get paid and to uh, launder that money? Because if we can, you know, you know, get get them on the other end, then that's also good. You know, the third option is they haven't paid their taxes in Russia. Maybe report them to the whatever the Russian version of the IRS is, um, and maybe that'll help. Uh, you know, I, you know, go go for the out-home route. But I, I, I do think that if we can take away that support structure, again, we're not stopping the ransomware. We're just making it a lot harder for them to carry out their operations. So if we were to go down that, that 
half. Is it, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about technical solutions. They, they don't work completely. Is it diplomatic or is it a military law enforcement slash TLA three-letter acronym problem? Or you're, you're in London now, so it's four-letter acronyms there. Right. We have uh, FBI, CIA, DH, uh, DHS, and, and NSA in the U.S., and in the U.K., we have GCHQ and, and all, of, all, all of their four-letter acronyms. Would it make the most sense to focus on um, diplomatic or law enforcement uh, in addition to technical um, resources? So, you know, and I'd love to see what Brett thinks about this because um, he may have a different take than I do. But I'm under the impression that a lot of the initial access brokers aren't, a lot of the core ransomware operators are still based in Russia. There are spread out in other parts of the world. But I think a lot of the initial access brokers are not based in Russia. And so I think there there are diplomatic slash law enforcement options there to not just take down the infrastructure, but also have arrests, have, have arrests for those operators. Um, you know, we could do like we did with Raccoon Stealer and pair each one of them up with a Instagram model girlfriend and let her post their uh, location to uh, to Instagram so that we can pick them up easier. But but I think that is is kind of the way you have to do it. I think the brands, the, the International Ransomware Task Force has been doing a lot of great work with information sharing. We need to bring more countries into that and, and improve that information sharing so that we can arrest these people wherever they are. Just like we do with email compromise in, you know, in, in some of the Asian and African countries where, you know, with all the intelligence in the world, we keep taking down these gangs and then new ones, you know, pop right back up. It may not work, but again, we have to keep trying and, and we have to Keep moving faster. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It makes sense to go after the individuals that we can reach and hope that makes a difference because realistically, those who are based in Russia are always going to be problematic. Lots of people have pointed an accusatory finger at the cyber insurance industry as having contributed to the ransomware problem. What's your take on that? I think that that's probably a fair assessment but I don't think that it is a current fair assessment. I, I do think that they were, and, and again, you do what your customer wants. And if the customer wants your insurance payout to pay the ransom, then that is what they're going to do because otherwise they'll go someplace else. But we're seeing much more rigorous demands from the cybersecurity industry now for renewing policies. There are blanket pan, uh, bans against um, using insurance payouts to pay ransom. And so I I do think that they are trying to be more part of the uh, solution of stopping ransomware. Um, but I do think that there was the, a time where they weren't. And it's not every cyber insurance company. You know, you talk to some of the cyber insurance companies that have really gone in and said, no, no, we're, we're not going to support paying the ransom. You know, we're going to be much more rigorous in who we give policies to. And they'll complain about the ransomware, you know, the, the cyber insurance companies that aren't doing that, 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 that are going to let anybody have a policy and so on. Now, how long they can keep that up, given that average ransom payments continue to rise, that's probably, you know, another conversation. So we'll see how long that, that happens. But, but I, I think from a financial perspective, the cyber insurance company can't afford to be part of the problem anymore. Yeah. For, for threat intelligence in the interests of your clients, is it beneficial or detrimental? 
detrimental to I, directly engage with these cyber criminals? I can't do it personally. I know like at Recorded Future, we have some really good people that do that and do it really well. And I'm glad they're there because I, I think it, it's just like ransomware negotiators, right? I can't get into a chat with a ransomware operator without telling them how many times I want to punch them in the face. And that's not productive when you're trying to negotiate um, or at least trying to get intel on what they have on you. And same thing, you know, I think that when done correctly, it's necessary and it can provide a lot of valuable information. The problem is there's that fine line between the ones that do it correctly and the ones that do it for sensational purposes. Similar sort of question. Lots of ransomware actors are active on Twitter and other social media platforms. Hello, Mikhail, if you're watching this. Should that be allowed? Is it useful to have them there from an intel perspective, or should we require that the social networks de-platform them? I don't know how useful it is having them there, um, but I'm also hesitant to de-platform anybody just because I don't like them. Uh, you know, we let other criminals on social media platforms all the time, so not allowing them on, I feel like that is a... Yeah, and you can tell super American here. So the whole free speech thing is kind of top of mind to me, even if there are people that I despise. So I don't think banning them is necessarily useful either. You know, again, I tend not to engage them. Um, I created a list on Twitter that I call punchable ransomware guys. Every time I find one, I add them to the list. So they don't want to engage with me either. But, but I do think that, you know, there are people that can get valuable intel from them. A lot of times they use it to, a lot of times they use that social media platform to list victims, victim shame um, in an easier fashion. And, you know, as our friend Valerie has uh, uh, discussed, um, we also know they lie a lot. And so, you know, the people that kind of breathlessly retweet everything they tweet or, um, share everything that 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 they share without any kind of uh analysis layer there i think that is probably again not behavior that i want to stop but is behavior that probably people should have a second or third look at you mentioned earlier that uh the cybersecurity industry has done uh quite a poor job at protecting um businesses uh, yeah, I remember the uh, yeah, I remember the first firewall implementations 30 years ago, and we've gone from there to IDS to endpoint protection to scene to you know you can name as you can name as many layers of protection as you want. Where do you see ransomware going from here? What's what's the next evolution? Well, I think what we're seeing right now is the the heavy focus on the data uh, theft part of it. Although we just saw Black Basta resurfaced and is just doing encryption again um so you know who knows if they'll go back to that and where that is interesting to me is they don't care where they get the data from so you know really you know we talk about securing your supply chain but now you also have to think about securing your data supply chain where is all of your data being held who's holding it how are they securing it um and who's holding their data and how's that data you know being secured and and so on and i think that that is a big area of concern right now as ransomware actors if they continue moving down to the data theft only model and i'm not sure that that's a fully profitable model for them compared to extort you know encrypt and then data theft 
but but that does seem to be where a lot of them are heading. Yeah, we recently saw an incident in which scattered spider and allegedly English-speaking Greek up with what appears to be a Russia-based ransomware operation, which is quite unusual. Is that concerning? I think so. Um, I think there is a lot of... I, I think in a, a lot of the younger hacker or pseudo-hacker community in the West, there's a, a, a lot of hero worship of the ransomware actors and that's a problem they're there's they're they're unable to distinguish between the, the bad guys and the good guys and maybe we just don't make good guys that are worth hero worshiping or whatever and so i do think that there's the, you know that 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 kind of gray area they that that they can fall into and, and be more attractive i mean and that's always been the case right like kids wanted to be jesse james when they were younger or you know, the kids that love the gangsters and wanted to be Al Capone and, and so on. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's always been that kind of hero worship of bad guys by, you know, what I would say are misguided teenagers. But then again, you know, if misguided teenagers uh, or young people, I should say, made $15 million from Caesar, that's more than I'm going to make this year. I know not as much as Brett will, but it's... Uh, more than I'm going to make this year. So maybe they're not the ones misguided. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do find it concerning. And, you know, I, I hope if Scattered Spider is really based in the West, I hope that they're very quickly tracked down by law enforcement the way Lapsus was and have their day in court. Final question, and it's one we ask everyone. Should we ban ransom payments, or if not ban them, uh, at least severely restrict the circumstances in which companies are allowed to pay them? You know, my 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 feeling on that has evolved over time. I used to be firmly no. You know, I'm starting to feel like sometimes people use paying the ransom as, as sort of a, an easy cop-out rather than do the hard work of recovery. What I will say is I feel like if we're not going to ban ransom payments, and I think there's very good arguments for why we shouldn't ban them, we should require reporting of ransom payments. If you make a ransom and you report before you pay the ransom, not after, you know, not two weeks later, six months later, wait until your SEC filing or whatever. If you pay a ransom, you uh, you have to report it before you pay the ransom. You know, I mean, again, if nothing else, maybe we can get some law enforcement uh, uh, tracing and, you know, uh, uh, some ways of determining if there's any way to claw that money back. And you don't get the money back. We're going to put the money into something else because you paid the ransom. Um, but uh, if there is reporting required reporting every time you pay a ransom and severe fines for not doing that reporting um, that, that I think you can at least get a better handle on the problem. And with that, I'd like to thank you, Alan, for joining us today. It's been really interesting to learn from your experience with cyber threats. And as always, we thank our listeners for tuning in. To stay up to date on the latest in cybersecurity, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. It's always great talking with you all.